Welcome back to the Liberty on Fire podcast. I'm your host, Libertarian Tony. Well, if this is your first time listening to this show, well, thank you very much. And if you are a repeat listener, well, then I also want to say thank you for coming back and listening to each and every show. Please don't forget to visit my website when you get a chance, libertyonfire.org, where you can get the podcast directly over the internet and links to support pages for the show to help keep the lights on and for some of the products that I'm going to recommend who I happen to be an affiliate marketer for. So if you want to support the show and you're interested in some of the products that I'm helping to promote, then go to my website and either make a donation on the Patreon page, which of course will also be in the show notes, or check out some of the products I'm advertising and see what you think. But remember to click on it through my link at my website or through the show notes. If you are a social media person, well then you can also check me out on Twitter at LOF Podcast. So that's L-O-F Podcast. And please don't forget to give me a five-star review on Apple Podcast or whatever medium you're using to download and listen to the podcast. I really appreciate it. Hey, Joey. Welcome back to the podcast. Hey, Tony. Thanks for letting me back on. So should we quickly address any reason why you haven't been on the podcast in a long time? Uh, well, we're always dealing with the time issues between me and you, for one. But... Uh, this last couple of months, mainly, I haven't even been paying attention to what's been going on in the world because I was pretty burned out after the with anything politically related. Because after the whole Ukraine thing and the phone call and that stupid thing turned, and we we did a podcast on how like how much we thought that was kind of not a big deal, and it turns into an impeachment process, and I'm just I couldn't stand paying listening to it and watching it every day. So I've been like in a cave. Well, I think that's completely understandable. It is uh, politics can certainly get to you, and um, there are plenty of times where. I just don't want to follow it anymore, but it's it's kind of like a love-hate relationship. It's like I love the idea of politics and seeing all the craziness that goes on, and at the same time, I hate it because I know I'm paying for it all. Yeah, it got, it got kind of annoying, but it's a new year now, so cool. All I'm right. ready. All right, so I, this podcast, uh, I guess the, the design for this show is going to be... Uh, kind of like a year in review episode. So we're going to look at 2019, some of the big stories that that happened, and then get into some of the current events, because how can we not talk about the current events, the stuff that happened after Christmas? I mean, it's just unavoidable. So um, I think since I have the list of things here that we're going to talk about, and there's probably no surprises here at all for you, because I think we've talked about most of these things together, I'm just going to kick us off. Yeah, you go ahead and lead it because, like I said, I've been in the cave, so I'll just add commentary when when I can here. But yeah, kick us off. Okay, and it's it'll probably be like a quick fire type thing. So oh, good. let's start with the we we're gonna go back to the beginning. This is what we kicked off our podcast with last year. It was January, February. The whole Jussie Smollett hoax crime. It was an obvious hoax from the beginning. You and I both thought that. This guy was caught red-handed, and then it was dismissed by, you know, the city of Chicago. And now this guy has the freaking balls to, to come out and sue the police department. So what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, this guy's one of the most unlikable guys I've ever, like, 
came across in my life. That's my thoughts. But a little more update to this guy now. I mean, this this saga for Jesse Smollett it still goes on, so it could still be a 2020 talking point. Because just I think it was just yesterday, the uh, Chicago or the Illinois Police Department got together. Well, I don't know if you know, there's an ongoing criminal investigation now into into it and into his hoax, and some judge ordered Google to. Um, release all of this guy's personal data for over the past year now, meaning like where he is, where he's been, location-wise, email records, uh, anything that Google has, you know, that they tracked, they ordered Google to release it. So that's an interesting thing. That just happened like uh, yesterday, and I think like today or even the day before, you know, the show Empire he was on, they, they're on their last season now, and that we could kind of presume that's because of this whole... Thing that happened and he wasn't you know offered back a role so they did fire him and remember they were some of them were bragging about like not bragging but they were kind of smirking about the whole situation and so uh, over half of them supported the guy but no now we fast forward and they're on their last season and he's off the show so there's still stuff ongoing with this it's kind of funny yeah i mean his he's got a chance that his career might be i don't know if it's going to be over but he may end up just turning to a full-time political activist after this. Uh, shortly after that, or right around the same time, there was the whole issue with the Covington kids, where, from my memory, a bunch of Catholic kids were in D.C. on a field trip. They were heckled by some black Israelites, and I'm not even sure what those are. And then you got this American Indian guy that came over, and he kind of joined in on heckling and gave the kids a hard time. But... The press reported it completely opposite and blamed the kids for harassing the black guys and the American Indian. And, you know, this is your corporate lamestream media. They talked about, like, punching these kids in the face. It was just completely disgusting. Yeah, I felt really bad for that kid, too. And I felt frustrated because that's just what's going on. And that's what added to my burnout is... All the sort of fake news portraying, you know, something at the angle that they want to portray it at and completely lying about things. And that was frustrating to watch. And this kid, by the way, um, just recently won his lawsuit against CNN. So uh, because they pretty much ruined his life, you know, they he they had his family had to move and, you know, he's getting harassed constantly. I mean, remember when remember Twitter when that happened, there was celebrities and famous people really like railing into this kid, even though he didn't do anything. But uh, so he, he had a lawsuit set up against CNN and he they settled on some undisclosed amount, but probably a lot of money. I think he was sued CNN specifically. Was it like 250 mm-hmm. million? And then who knows what they settled for? It could have been half that, but even half that is like great for, for him, I guess, right? Yes. Be awesome. I would take it. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping CNN kind of tries to ruin my reputation and I could sue them. That'd be nice. Yeah, that'd be fun. So then we got these uh, Hong Kong protests, and there's a lot of unrest in that country, and mainly, obvi- well, obviously because of the issues with China and Hong Kong wanting to be free, or at least sovereign, and not be under the thumb of you know Chinese rulers. And I don't think this is going away anytime soon, and I'm sure that we have our own people on the ground there, either CIA or State Department assets over there, kind of helping fuel the fire of these protests, because... That's kind of just what our government does. They like to stick their little dirty fingers into everything all around the world. And, you know, so this is probably a good opportunity, 
by some would think so to help try to weaken China by fueling the unrest. I mean, there's pretty much nowhere around the world that our government wouldn't want to intervene in. But it, I don't know if you had any particular thoughts on that. No, just that I don't think we have, as far as I know, intervened yet there. And it's a bit of an awkward situation because I think most people sympathize with Hong Kong a lot. Um, maybe not some celebrities, apparently, like LeBron James was sympathizing to China. But um, I think most people are, are understanding of what the Hong Kong citizens are going through and feel bad for them. But I think countries don't really want to get involved here. Right. And it was uh, also like, who is it? Steve Kerr, the coach? Yes. For the Warriors or something? He, he was very pro-China on a lot of issues, it seems like. But obviously, these people have a lot of money to lose if for some reason China doesn't want the NBA in their country anymore, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay. So, I mean, we could see where their motivations are. It, their motivations are clearly not in the direction of like freedom for the people of Hong Kong. And we've talked about this a couple of times. So there were six Democratic debates last year. And I've done a podcast on each of them except for that last one in December. I guess I, re I really didn't need to do a separate podcast on that because it was pretty much the same debate as the first five where... Real quick, weren't you like the only guy on earth that watched all six of them? That might... Well, the five. And I, I didn't watch the sixth, but I watched highlights. Yeah. So I might have been one of the only people who watched them all. Yeah, I, I didn't have it in me. But I relied on you, though, for the uh, what was going on. Yeah, they, they, were, they were pretty painful to watch. And the same theme was kind of just common throughout, right? It was impeach Trump. It was everybody mm -hmm. gets free stuff uh, who don't live here, and then more free stuff for the people who do. And it was a little, actually in the last debate, some of the highlights showed a little bit of back and forth battle between Buttigieg and Warren, which I, I kind of think, you know, Buttigieg came out on top in that battle. And, you know, Warren has had more and more trouble trying to defend how she's possibly going to pay for everything she wants to do. I mean, just her health care plan alone is literally impossible to pay for. So that's, it doesn't even take into account her, you know, the Green New Deal part of her ideas, the, um, the plan for, you know, free, I, I guess, uh, education for everybody who wants to come here. I mean, I mean, math has escaped the Democratic debates, I think. And her poll numbers have just no, but nothing but slid over the past three months. And Buttigieg is, I think, now doing better than her in a couple of states. Looks pretty bad for her. Right. Well, I think they're going to slide around at this point, um, but we'll see what happens. I mean, the the Warren crowd is going to be very similar to the Bernie crowd. So when one of them go out, I think they're going to get the rest, you know, and all that crowd's going to kind of slide over into the other one. So that'll shift things. I, I still have my sneaky suspicions about Bernie, man. I think this guy, I think his uh, uh, ground game is starting to come back into play. And yeah. he's going to start going up a little bit higher in the polls. I mean, Biden has a lot of baggage, and Biden is also a gaffe machine, and he's also got, yeah, I, mm -hmm. just intellectually, I just don't think he's all there anymore, and he can't really take on Trump in any sort of way. So I think a lot of people, Democrats and the big money donors, probably see that, and they just can't get behind him. Yeah, and he's not doing any better with his creepy Biden image. Just the other day, he was he was 
touching another little girl and smelling her hair. This was like two days ago. Get out of here. He did it again? No, I'm not kidding. I, I should have sent it to you, but it was all over Twitter. Oh, my God. This is pathologic. Yeah, it's the same like weird stuff that he did before but and got called out on it, and he's still doing it. So, yeah, that's what the Internet's for. I mean, they'll murder someone who's doing some weird stuff like that. Memes and all that kind of stuff will spread. I, yeah, I've heard it described on Twitter as nuzzle-humping little girls. Yeah. It is very creepy. Okay, so uh, next, it, this is a, a foreign policy topic, which I think, for, to me, it was a huge win for Trump. This was meeting with uh, Kim Jong-un of North Korea. Uh, I'm not sure when the last time the U.S. president met North Korea, but it, it hasn't really happened, I don't think, in the past 20 years. So, you know, finally, I mean, this, to me, Trump looked very presidential doing this. It was uh, hopefully going to lead to some sort of better relationship with North Korea going forward. And I, I think it's really kind of stupid or juvenile at this point to think that North Korea is actually going to get rid of their nuclear weapons. I don't think that's ever going to happen because why should they, right? North Korea has looked mm -hmm. out across the world and they've seen what the United States does to countries that don't have nuclear weapons and it's not pretty. Yeah, I think it was a political win too. Even if they don't do anything differently, the optics of it looked like a political win to me because Trump was able because remember when Trump was first coming to office, like one of the things we were dealing with, at least uh, that was circling the media, was North Korea's threat. You know, that's a big deal. You know, how are we going to handle them? It's it's escalated, and they're testing missiles more. And uh, Trump has met with Kim Jong Un and. You know, he, he schmoozes a bit because he knows that's how he can get things done or appear to get things done. I think, it, I think it looked pretty good because the tensions sort of eased up after all this happened. Not to mention, when he when King Jong-un came over here, I don't know, there was pictures of them walking together. And Trump looked like he was the boss and King Jong-un looked like he was sort of intimidated. No no one's really said that except for me, but the, the just Trump took looked like he took control and he was like an alpha and but still maintaining like a trying to maintain a good relationship or if that that's not really, you know really possible but you know what i mean like he, he eased up the tensions there i think right yeah i think there's 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 less chance obviously of north korea actually using the nukes if they're having good uh diplomacy with other countries and some of the talk before all this too was oh trump remember when he was becoming president what I, this guy with his you know, access to the nuclear football and, you know, oh, he's just going to be bombs away on people or, or, you know, other foreign leaders, you know, won't, don't take him seriously. I don't think any of that has been the case at all. I think they can say what they want, you know, but I think people do take him seriously. I think he represents himself well when he's there with people you know, with the foreign leaders for the most part. And he's not really, you know, bombs away, I'm going to use a nuke. He, he's, he's so, so far, and we'll talk about some of this that just recently happened later. But, yeah, you can move on then. I just thought he did good there. Yeah, me too. Okay, um, 2019 was also kind of, it kind of showcased the rise of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, AOC. Now, she's this up-and-comer in you know, the Democratic Party with no real political history that I know about or experience and I think she was selected by Democratic elites to be like the new face of the party. And I say she was selected because I don't think there's any way she could have become this popular on her own. 
And I think people behind the scenes were pushing this and, in fact, helping her challenge the current Democratic leadership, a.k.a. Nancy Pelosi. And I mean, that's how we ended up with this impeachment, I think, in some uh, in some respect. Yeah, she was 2019, really? I thought she might have been 2018, but either way, yeah, she has really risen up. And I think it's—I think you might be right that she was kind of you know, uh, sought out like that to, to be someone they chose because she really— takes in the Bernie crowd that are that are young and think Bernie is a little old now. So all the college student, millennial, um, you know, thinking socialism is, is an amazing thing. She, that's like right up her alley now. She can lead all them. I think she's more relatable than Bernie is to them. And that's what she's doing. Yeah, I think she's going to be someone to keep an eye on going forward. That's for sure. I don't think she's going away anytime soon. We'll see. She can't. I don't think she can hold her own in any sort of debate with someone that has a normal IQ. So I don't know if that'll hurt her. Uh, it, it hasn't hurt any of the politicians before her. So <laughs> that's true. Good point. Okay. Uh, I guess next, it's a good segue to get into impeachment itself, impeachment of Trump, which is kind of an impeachment, but not really. Right? You had this uh, show trial in the House where the Democrats were in complete control. And it was completely one-sided where they, they didn't let the Republicans call any witnesses that they wanted. And they were only allowed to question the witnesses that the, Democrat, the Democrats called. Mm-hmm. And many of the initial meetings were behind closed doors before the trial was made public. And then this really odd thing happens, right? They make the trial public and, you know, talked about these uh, articles of impeachment. And then guess what? All of a sudden the poll numbers shifted, right? Trump's approval numbers went up and the popularity Mm -hmm. of the impeachment actually decreased in the polls. So, I mean, anyway, I mean, this impeachment is in some sort of limbo now because the House voted to impeach, but then he decided not to send the articles, I guess, over to the Senate for trial. And then, so now what? Well, I guess nobody really knows because this has never happened before. And I, but I guess this is what you ha- what happens when you have a completely partisan impeachment because nobody knows what to do now. And this is all, of course, the, one of the biggest topics because there's so much in here besides the impeachment itself because it all derives from the stupid Ukraine phone call and the whistleblower and then Adam Schiff nonsense. So there's just so much here. But I think going back to the original, the the, the phone call being released was, was ended up being such a good move because I think moderates see through this. And this whole impeachment thing, and I think that's why the popularity is down, poll numbers are up. It kind of, it, it came off ridiculously partisan to anybody who's who's trying to act objective about it all. And this is the one that burned me out because I thought it was so ridiculous. Yeah, no, definitely get that. So I'm gonna I'm gonna move on because there's a lot of topics left to cover. So a, another interesting thing that we saw in 2019, also throughout his presidency was more and more fake news and Trump derangement syndrome, okay? And mainly, uh, let's say, by the corporate media. And and this is actually getting kind of fun for me at this point because these people just don't know what to do with themselves other than make stuff up about Trump and, you know, the, uh, I guess, Republicans in general, and then lie about it continuously. But they're so bad at it that they parrot each other on every show from one to the next, mm. and they all use the same talking points on, on every single show. And so you got these people on YouTube who are putting together these compilation videos of these you know so-called experts and talking head journalists saying the same thing everybody else says on every other channel other than Fox. Yeah, it's like it's sent out in some mass email to all of them. <laughs> like, here's the phrase of the week. 
Yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. It's clear that none of these people are actually thinking for themselves about anything. But what I want to know is, where are they getting their talking points from? And, and that's an interesting question to answer. Perhaps, you know, could it be the anti-Trump CIA state, you know, it's deep state people? I don't know. It is it is a little weird, like you said, because they not just the talking points, the phrasing is is a copy and paste. You know, it's the same exact phrasing. It's and sometimes and I don't have an example off the top of my head, but I just remember I've seen the same videos you're you're referring to, the the compilations on YouTube or that or someone put together them all saying the same thing. It's it's like things that you wouldn't normally say either, not like super common words all the time, but it's just they have somehow were given this line and and everyone was told to hammer away at at the this phrase. Yeah, I've seen one. I've seen a several. One for where they used constitutional crisis like a thousand times in a day, yeah. and another one where they said um, collusion and puppet of Putin like a thousand times in a day. I mean, it's it's really hilarious stuff. Well, I have a few commercials for you guys. I'm an affiliate marketer for several different companies, which I do recommend if you're interested in such products. And you have my word that I'm only going to promote stuff that I actually use and that I actually think is a great value. So I want to tell you a little bit about Captivate FM. I use Captivate FM as my podcast hosting platform, and it's probably the best podcast hosting platform there is. Captivate is said to be the apple of podcast hosting, and the value is certainly undeniable. And you can get seven free days just for trying it out. I host my podcast through Captivate, which is the world's only growth-oriented podcast host, and you can too. Next up is the McClanahan Academy. So this is at McClanahanAcademy.com, and that's M-C-C-L-A-N-A-H-A-N. And a little bit about Brian McClanahan, who created this academy. He's an author of six books and a renowned historian. He got his PhD in history at the University of South Carolina. He has written numerous articles for many websites and magazines. He has nine courses for sale right now on his website covering pre- and post-Civil War American history. And he's a fantastic historian and will give it to you straight. And the next product I want you to check out is called Liberty Classroom. And you can go to libertyclassroom.com to take a look. And you can get the history and economics they didn't teach you in school. Several fantastic historians and economists have courses on this site, which you can play over the internet or through a phone app on such topics as philosophy, American history, Western civilization, the American presidents, and the interesting connection between science fiction and liberty. You can also get courses on history of economic thought, current economic thought, and remember, this is the true history you didn't get in school without the political correctness that we all love to hate. And please remember, if you're going to try out any of these products, I only get credit if you click on one of them through either my website or through the show notes on my podcast. And now let's get back into the show. My next couple examples for 2019 are all, they all have the same theme. Now, now the theme is going to be, this is a bad year for government lying, okay? So, um... Julian Assange was finally arrested and taken into custody uh, by the British, and I'm sure at the behest of the Americans, because he had the audacity to release a whole bunch of nasty stuff that our government was doing, all of which was illegal, and all of which never should have happened, and all of which I think the American people have a right to know about, right? But his big crime is that he actually let the American people in the world know about it. 
Now, this to me is just another way of your government limiting your free speech because, you know, if they can put this guy in jail for life and let him die there for being an honest journalist, that sends a message to other journalists telling them that you better get in line and not do anything we don't like. Otherwise, this could happen to you. Yeah, the the legality of it's weird to me. It's like, you know, re you're releasing them on the Internet, right? I mean, the Internet's not really owned by a you know, country. I, I don't even understand how it, how it legally you go after someone like that for just... I guess it was. I guess it was because of the hacks. That's, I think, one of the main things that the government is mad at him about. But you know, I mean, it goes way back to a lot of the stuff with the uh, things that were going on in Iraq, the war crimes that we were committing, and he got he got leaks from Chelsea Manning that he published. So I mean, and Junie Assange is, is I would call him just a publisher and a journalist, nothing more, nothing less. He's not a hacker. Okay, let's move on, unless you have something else to say on that. No, I mean, I I thought, like, you, you knew more about the whole situation, but I remember the Roger Stone thing being sort of linked in with that and that being kind of big, too, and, and another weird one on how that guy was, you know, SWAT teams came to his house, made a big spectacle out of it. CNN apparently got, like, you know, wind of it because some journalist was there, like, an hour beforehand. I don't know if you know much about that, but it's sort of related. I don't know too much more than what you just said, that somehow— Whoever was going to raid this guy or take him into custody, they tipped off CNN beforehand, right? Otherwise, there's no way a reporter was just sitting there waiting for like one day when the feds would show up and arrest him, right? That didn't make any yeah. sense. So somebody talked to someone, but I don't know what's going to happen with all these Trump friends in the future. I, I honestly think Trump's going to pardon them all, but I, I think he does have to wait until the end of 2020 where he either gets reelected or he doesn't. One way or another, if he gets reelected, he's just going to pardon him. If he doesn't get reelected, then he's going to pardon him. At least that's what I think. Okay. Well, we'll find out soon. That's true. Time is flying, so that'll feel like tomorrow. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, Jeffrey Epstein was murdered, and our truthful government came out and said it was a suicide, and they closed the case within five days. So mm -hmm. more and more information is getting kind of leaked out about it, and it's looking more and more, more and more like a murder cover-up. Every person believes that already, except our government, our official government story. And we got uh, a leaked video as well from Project Veritas that ABC had a story about pedophile Jeffrey Epstein, which involves Bill and Hillary Clinton, of course. Mm -hmm. Over three years ago, they had this story, and then that story was totally tanked by the higher-ups at ABC. So I guess it's kind of obvious who they're protecting. And hopefully we get more of this coming out soon in 2020, you know, because it is starting to leak out some more things about it and, and seeming like he, he didn't kill himself. I mean, originally I thought he maybe killed himself, but that in itself was a big deal because it was like, how did you let him off the, you know, out of your sights here? I mean, he was apparently on suicide watch and one way or another, this was sort of a scandal or a big scandal. Right. I mean, they miraculously, for some reason, take him off suicide walks, and then all the cameras all of a sudden aren't working on the day he dies, right? <laughs> uh, the Mueller report. That came out and showed no Russia collusion by Trump and his campaign at all, and hinted at possibilities of obstruction of justice, but they didn't have enough evidence to indict anybody over this. So that was a huge vindication for Trump and his campaign. It was a big win for him. But it was also an eye-opening experience for what our lying deep state CIA and FBI are capable of. What do you think? 
Yeah, I agree. I don't know. I can't much add to that. That's it was eye opening, and it's it's been eye opening. You can't tr- it, you can't really trust you know the people that you thought you're supposed to be able to trust in your country. Uh, I'm glad you're finally coming around to that realization. A little bit, <laughs> my young Padawan. Okay, um, so you had Iran allegedly attack some oil tankers, and then Iran shot down this U.S. drone. That which got too close to them, and the U.S. said it was over international waters, and Iran said it was over their airspace. So who do you believe? Who knows? I mean, I tend not to believe the U.S. government right off the bat and make them prove things to me because, you know, they're notorious liars. But I don't have too much more to say on this because we're going to talk about Iran at the end. You want to add anything here? No, it just goes off the whole, you know, you can't trust your own uh, government now. And, and I understand now a little more your point of view. I still don't really, I mean, you jumped right to, um, I think they're lying, you know, I'm not there yet, but I am uh, a little more skeptical now when things like this happen. Okay, so hold, hold that thought. I have three more topics to add evidence to my point of view. Okay, so now we have this IG report that just came out by Inspector Horowitz, and I already did a podcast uh, summarizing that, basically showing that the FBI not only made serious mistakes when applying to, you know, for the FISA court warrants to spy on Trump and his campaign people, but they actually changed information, right? They, they took it and they changed the words around to make it look worse, right, in favor of getting a warrant in order to bolster their requests for these warrants. Really nasty stuff with obvious political bias, despite what people in the news media have said. I mean, just on the face of it, how can the targeting of Trump and his campaign people not be political when every mistake and change of the of the fake evidence occurred in order to bolster the case for spying, right? Not one mistake was made in his favor, right? Not one mistake was made to refute the Russia collusion. And mm. yes, yeah, so I just don't get that one. And anyway, so we're waiting for this 2020 John Durham Bill Barr report. We have to see what happens with that. That's a great point. Although no, no mistake in, in Trump's favor ever during this whole entire thing, of course. Well, I mean, you would think if the FBI were just a bunch of bumbling fools, they would have at least made one mistake in Trump's favor. Next topic. So now we have more evidence of, you know, government lying to you. And we've got these so-called Afghanistan papers that were released due to, uh, I think, uh, a Freedom of Information Act request by the Washington Post of all, you know, outlets, right? And trying to get documents on the war in Afghanistan. So anyway, finally, the documents are released. And what these papers have shown is that the government, you know, so all the politicians and generals who talked about the war were 100% lying to you about everything going on in Afghanistan. All the way back to the beginning, every time they said that things were going well, success was right around the corner, that was all a lie. The numbers of the deaths of civilians was lied about. Any progress they were making and the spin they put out there to the American people was all a lie. You know, so yeah, I mean, if you fought in Afghanistan or you have a family member that went to Afghanistan and died, you were lied to. And you probably have some sort of significant lawsuit against the government if you really wanted. It was pretty disgusting stuff that we found out. Well, when was this? I I didn't hear about this one. Uh Uh-huh. So this was just over the past month, I think, came out. It was a whole bunch of podcasts on it, at least in the in the area that I listen to, the different uh, people who talk about this kind of stuff. But the fact that you kind of weren't aware of it is, mm-hmm. uh, is on purpose. Mainstream mm-hmm. media 
purposely did not cover this. And this is a huge story. It was it was in the the Washington Post, of course, because they're the ones who applied, um, you know, to get the uh, Freedom of Information Act uh, information, uh, yeah, documents. But you know, after they reported it, the story just kind of went away. That's what it usually happens with this kind of thing, right? One little uh, quick report and then swept under the rug. But yeah, no, I never heard of that one. And that sounds like some good info. Maybe yeah, we should do a separate one on that. Yeah, I mean, that was like, uh, according to these people, the importance of it was page eight at the bottom corner of the newspaper or something, as mm. opposed to anything going on with Trump is always going to be front page news, whether he had pizza with a fork or put ketchup on steak or whatever, you know. Okay, next topic, uh, more government lying for you. So more evidence came out how bad the government is, and yet this last round of these alleged gas attacks by Assad on his own people. And this one occurred in Douma, Syria. And thank God for WikiLeaks, which published some of the letters and emails of the original inspectors who went to Douma shortly after the gas attack. And the conclusion of this group this UN body, the OPCW, was that there was no gas attack and that the canisters that they found could not have been dropped from a plane and they looked like they were placed in a building to be found by the inspectors. And remember, the official government story from Trump and his administration was that there was an airstrike. Assad used an airstrike to gas his own people uh, and despite him basically destroying ISIS to the point where ISIS had no power left, and knowing full well that we would bomb them if there was a gas attack. So there was really no reason for him to do it in the first place. And now we have these whistleblowers that came out from the OPCW committee saying that they were pressured by some unnamed U.S. officials telling them that despite what they found, they were told to say it was a gas attack, and that's what you're going to say. Then the really interesting part is that the people who did the investigation were not allowed to write the report of the gas attack. Supposedly, that went to some group in Turkey to write. So how does a group of investigators in Turkey writing a report know more about what happened than the people who, like the investigators on the ground in Syria? I mean, it's just crazy, right? Anyway, it's just more evidence of how your government lies to you in order to justify whatever they want to do. You know, in this case, Trump and some of the warmongers around him, they wanted to bomb Assad and they need an excuse. Yeah, it's things like that that do get me a little skeptical now of any sort of thing that involves possibly military action. And you remember the whole um, oil rigger being blown up, you know, by Iran, and then what was really weird to me, and I think you mentioned it in, in one of your episodes, where um, Iranians supposedly drove up to the ship now all wearing like orange vests and we're inspecting it afterwards and that was our evidence of look look there they are there are any are going what <laughs> i mean what was that about and it's such a bs story uh, that was clearly like bs right there and yeah it seemed like we were manufacturing evidence that it was iran rather than real stuff there well it's cer it certainly wouldn't be the first time our government manufactured evidence right i mean look at what they did to, to trump in order to spy on him and his campaign now i think we've spent a lot on topics for most of 2019 i don't know if you had any other specific topics you wanted to talk about but we could we could jump right we could jump right into current events okay i will i'll, I'll kind of provide a backdrop and a summary Obviously, we have to talk about what's going on with Iran and Iraq again. You got this. So the history behind this, 
uh, is obviously we're still in Iraq. We've never left, and we've been kind of bombing the remnants of ISIS in that region, but there have also been plenty of other bombs going off for quite some time, and Israel has been bombing ISIS, which is Sunni, a Sunni group, and they've also been bombing some of these you know, Iraqi uh, Shiite militias as well, which supposedly are aligned with Iran and possibly funded by Iran. And, and now when ISIS was powerful, Iran and the Shiite militias in Iraq actually helped us. Right, the right. Kur- they helped us. They helped the Kurds. They helped Assad. And they helped Russia defeat ISIS. So that's what makes this whole thing so confusing. Right, because at some point, it, it it is true that we were some sort of, maybe not an ally, but we were aligned for a specific purpose of trying to destroy ISIS. Anyway, the Ar- Iranians who are predominantly Shiite, or at least have you know Shiite leadership, they don't like the Sunnis. In fact, they hate each other. And they've hated each other for about a thousand years. And sometimes these Shiite militia groups attack U.S. troops because, hey, why not? We don't belong there anyway. And, you know, they hate us probably almost as much as they hate the Sunnis. So anyway, there have been a lot of problems recently and uh, a lot of innocent people get killed with our bombs. So they have a reason to attack us when they get a chance. Finally, you had this American contractor that was killed and some soldiers that were hurt by uh, an attack uh, by allegedly one of these, you know, Iran-supported Shiite groups. And then we went and bombed them back and we killed a bunch of people. So this, of course, enraged many of the, you know, Shiites in Iraq. And they came with some, I guess, pro-Iranian people as well and stormed our embassy, which... I mean, it really is kind of like a fortress over in Baghdad. And then the guards, which are primarily Iraqi, they just kind of let these people walk right in. I mean, and mm-hmm. from what I know, nobody actually died, but they broke in and, you know, to the compound. And I think they burned the reception area. And then the U.S. took the opportunity to kill this highly regarded Iranian general, Soleimani who was kind of like a second-in-command person for Iran, kind of like a vice president. And at least supposedly some sort of equivalent to like what Pence would it be for our country. And there's also the he's apparently in charge of a lot of the terror operations. I don't know if you believe that is true. It's possible. It's certainly possible. So, I mean, we took him out, but we also took out some Iraqi leadership at the same time as an accident or as collateral damage. And in any way, you know, since then, both Trump and the Ayatollah have been threatening each other. And, and then interestingly, Iraq had a vote by their legitimate parliament to expel U.S. troops from their country. And of course, it seems like Trump and the warmongers in the U.S. are just kind of ignoring this. And then Trump is now threatening Iraq with sanctions unless they pay for the stuff we gave them or the bases we built. And I mean, isn't this whole story just a little crazy and ironic that, you know, we supposedly helped Iraq for, uh, liberate them from a Sunni dictator, Saddam Hussein, to give them a, dom- a democracy, and then their democracy votes to do something like, you know, get rid of these foreign invaders, get rid of these U.S. troops, and then we ignore the will of the people and their democracy. Isn't that just crazy? Yeah, it is crazy. It's getting all weird, and I can't follow what's going on and who's who and who we're helping and who we're not helping like this month. So it's a little weird to me. But um, I don't know if Trump – Who? it's hard to comment on these kind of things because I don't know what's being said and understood 
at that level of government, at, at like Trump's level, and like really what's going on as well. And we did forget something in 2019, I guess, sort of, because it relates to this, in my opinion, was when we killed Baghdadi. And I think maybe, you know, Trump is, I think these are good. We are heading to an election here. And I think these killing Baghdadi and then killing this other terrorist guy uh, who's apparently like the number one in charge, all may be uh, politically motivated things from Trump's end because they, they look good so long as it didn't end up in a war, which it, it doesn't look like it is. These all look like good moves to the Trump base and, and even a lot of a lot of America. So I think it, these might be political moves because we're heading towards an election. We, I mean, so he could say that we took on these really bad terrorist leaders, and the only blowback we had so far was uh, was a bomb strike, was a strikes for, with ballistic missiles that they pretty much warned us that they were coming. Right. So to get back into it, like you're saying, Salabani's dead. Trump and the Ayatollah are kind of exchanging threats. I think the U.S. fully expected there to be some sort of retaliation, and then just last night. Iran lobs those 15 missiles at two Iraqi bases and kills no one. So this was just last night. And then Trump comes out this morning and makes a speech on you know, Wednesday morning. I think it was 11 a.m. Eastern time or something. What did you think of the speech? I thought it was a perfect speech. And, and to preface you know, why, we have to go back to the night before when this was happening— I was looking on Twitter, and that you know probably would never have been the case. Obviously, Twitter hasn't been around 20 years ago and stuff, but you could follow the reactions of both the left and the right in real time, different news, big political guys, and it was kind of a whirlwind going on. I mean, you had some people uh, were thinking, you know, World War III was on the way, and Trump's Trump's this warmonger, bombs away type of guy, saying like, look what he did. This is what the retaliation. Oh my gosh, who knows if missiles are going to hit us? I mean, there's like hysterics was happening, mm -hmm. you know, and um, it it turns out that nothing happened, and, it, and they warned us pretty much that they were coming. And Trump's response, and that's it, another thing, is people were thinking, oh, what's Trump going to do? Holy crap, he's going to bomb you know, Iran, and he's just going to blow him off the face of the... You know, people have that sort of uh, perception of Trump that I think is false, and we're, and we're seeing that based on his actions sometimes. So his speech, I think, was really good because he came out and he was pretty much boasting that we're powerful and we're really good. Iran will never own a nuclear weapon. You don't have to worry. He then reassured the American citizens that... We didn't suffer one casualty, and there was barely any damages. And then he used it to to say that you know they're standing down, and we think it's a great move. And basically that we're we'll you know we want to stand down too. We don't want any conflict. Uh, we don't want a war. Um, but maybe we're going to do things a little differently, and we're not afraid to send you know strike some bad guys if if they're if they're acting up. And then he used it all to also ask the European nations to get back to the table on new deals involving, you know, Iran and their their uh, weapons and their their whatever they're trying to do. So I don't know. I thought it was a really good speech. It was teleprompter read, but uh, maybe Trump needs more of those. Yeah, he's got to stop shooting from the hip. Um, I, I agree mm -hmm. with you on that. I, I was worried, dude. I, I, last night uh, during the bombing, I, I, was, I was really worried that the they made a mistake with killing the Soleimani guy, that he was just really important to the country over there, and that Trump escalated things too far, and then you had this bombing, and then the bombing turned out to be a dud, right? So that, 
to me, it was, it was on purpose that it was a dud. And it was on purpose that they did not kill any U.S. soldiers, not by accident. I, I think they know for sure that if they killed a bunch of U.S. soldiers, we would have bombed the crap out of them. And then it would have been a full-scale war, which they can't win. But we also can't win either. We can't go door-to-door in Iran, which is twice the size of Iraq. It's surrounded by mountains on three sides and an ocean on the other. I mean, it's huge compared to Iraq. And I think Trump, there's evidence that he has had a measured response in the past. Yes. When Iran shot down that drone... And Trump was all ready to, you know, send in the bombs. And then he asked supposedly his, you know, some of his generals at the last second, how many people are going to die if we retaliate? And they told him like 150. And he just, he didn't think it was, uh, it, it was right. It was going to, too many lives for an unmanned drone, right? So the, I appreciate when Trump does that. I give him credit for the speech and the measured response today, I mean, he's going to put more economic sanctions on Iran. I mean, how many more sanctions could they possibly put put on that country? It doesn't, I, there's probably nothing left. But anyway, I, I'm really happy he didn't escalate things further. And he's using this, hopefully, as a time to get back to diplomacy. And it, I, I really give him credit for that. Well, that's what it looks like for sure. And when that drone strike, you know, uh, or when that drone that we had was shot down, when Trump first came out on Twitter, I believe he was all like, hoorah, you know, um, you know, don't, you know, we're going to kick some butt for this kind of thing. You know, that that's almost a Twitter response. But then the real response from him genuinely was, of course, we're not going to go and, and kill people over a, a, you know, a piece of equipment being shot down. I, I think he really wants to set up the bold, um, you know, a tough America don't mess with us because we will hit you back. But at the same time, we're not looking to start trouble. We don't want trouble, and we're not going to be a uh, war-hungry country trying to you know, get involved all over the place. I think that's what Trump's doing, but he, I think he really wants to set up the whole deterrence sort of system, which I know some, some of your libertarian friends uh, don't believe in, but maybe this is some evidence that it could, uh, you know, it could work sometimes because I think Trump, based on the, the reaction from Iran, Trump may have deterred them from, from really doing something crazy. I mean, they were saving face with their own citizens by shooting the ballistic missiles, but it looks like they were not intending to actually do damage because they were afraid, okay, if we actually do something to this guy and his country, his people, we are going to get hit hard from him. And I'm not sure if that would have happened in the in the past or not i i agree with you on most of that i i don't i'm not too sure that the perception of libertarians is correct uh from a lot of different like news media people and all that it, it's like tucker carlson gets it wrong all the time it's so funny yeah most libertarians believe just in non-intervention right so mm-hmm. they're not isolationists right we want to trade with everybody and have peaceful relations with you but if you're a threat to us and, you know, it looks like you're going to attack us, we, we have no problem with defending ourselves at all. And, you know, we could potentially annihilate you for, you know, starting some, you know, uh, some a shooting war with us. Anyway, yeah, so and most libertarians that I've run into, at least podcasts, authors and everything people have talked to, 
they are the farthest thing from pacifists that you would ever find because they all believe you have a right to defend yourself, and that's why they're all, you know, big Second Amendment supporters. Um, but they also believe on the grand scale you need you, or you have to defend your country too. So, yeah, I want to say thank you, Joey, for being involved with the podcast all last year. And I just, uh, you know, I want to kind of throw out a little bit more, I guess, kind of history behind some of the Middle East stuff. And, I mean, you can go back really, really far into the 50s to talk about history in the Middle East. But let's just go back to George Bush and his people kind of, you know, trying to justify an unconstitutional war in Iraq and you know, they made a host of allegations. The first, of course, was that Saddam Hussein uh, was kind of involved with al-Qaeda in 9-11, and that was completely debunked, like, really quickly right off the bat. And so the government then had to come up with some other reasons for us to invade Iraq, you know, in order to keep us safe, of course. So then the government went with a few talking points after that, saying that the Iraq had weapons of mass destruction, that Saddam Hussein was a bad guy and needed to be punished, and that U.S. invasion will, you know, convert Iraq into a democracy, and then Iraq will become a U.S.-friendly regime, and the Middle East will become more peaceful as a result of this new Iraq. Well, obviously now... All of these things have been completely debunked. In fact, I mean, Colin Powell and George Bush and everybody else, they were just completely lying about this. None of this was ever true. The government just needed an excuse to send your children off to die in another Middle Eastern country. So it looks like the end result, you know, of this big U.S. invasion never really established a pro-U.S. regime in Iraq at all. And They've indeed kind of kind of paved the way for this Shiite majority in Iraq to secure power through greater alliances with Iran. And now we're, you know, sending more troops to help protect us from Iran and the Iraqi government that we put in place. I mean, isn't it uh, just kind of obvious now that to everybody that we have no idea what we're doing in the Middle East and we should all just leave? Haven't we killed enough innocent people in the Middle East? Haven't we caused enough trouble? Is it worth is it worth it to you to send your kids off to die in another endless war, which can that possibly achieve any goals that it's trying to achieve? I mean, we've got involved in, you know, for example, in the Vietnam War with the French in the 50s, and we basically took over for the French in 1964 and finally got out at the end of 1974. And do we really have to wait 20 years in order to realize that we can't win and we shouldn't be there in the first place? So those are the questions I want people to ponder in 2020 going forward. And hopefully Trump has kicked us off in the right direction by showing some diplomacy in a time where we really needed it. Well, that will do it for today. Thank you for coming back to the Liberty on Fire podcast. And let's remember to keep those fires of liberty burning bright. (music) 